a good God, and he's got a good plan for our lives. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Luke. Oh, I think we have it. We're going to project it this morning. Okay, then we could read it together. Let's read it together. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. May the Lord bless his word this morning. After the creation of a magnificent world, God decided to form a man out of the dust of the earth. Then he charged him with the responsibility of caring for the garden and naming all the animals. He was free to enjoy everything in the garden. The only caveat was that he could not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he would die if he did. Sometime later, God decided that it was not good for man to be alone. Can you imagine as Adam was naming the, alum, the um, animals, he would say, female elephant? Male elephant, how about me? And then he would turn around. You don't have a great imagination. Um, female hippopotamus, male, how about me? So finally God probably saw how lonely he was, and he said, we got to do something about it. And the Bible says that Adam slept for a while, and then God took one rib out of him, and created, fashion is the word, the, the Hebrew word, um, fashion a woman out of his rib. And imagine when that man woke up and looked at that beauty, he did what men usually do. He wanted to possess, and he did, and he said to her, woman, you are now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. We read that in Genesis 2.23. And you know, Adam and Eve were so happy. They were enjoying each other. They were enjoying the beauty of the garden. But one day, the serpent came around and tempted Eve. And she said that, that the food that she ate was pleasing to the eye, so she offered it to her husband. And he ate too. Mind you... The command not to eat from that tree was given to Adam way before the woman came into the picture. He knew better than that. He was, he was supposed to be the head of the household. Afterwards, they heard God walking in the garden, and they hid 
the Bible says. And then he went to Adam to settle the account, to ask him about what he had done. And Adam said, oh, well, that woman that you gave me. And then he went to Eve. And Eve said, well, that serpent, she deceived me, and I ate the fruit. See, that's what blaming goes back to, the Garden of Eden. Nevertheless, God in his loving kindness, right then and there, gave us the first promise of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ, Genesis 3, 15. And Jesus came into the world approximately 4,000 years later to fulfill that promise. He came to redeem humanity from sin. Now, what is sin? Well, sin is just a transgression against God. And John Wesley said, Nothing is sin, particularly speaking, but a voluntary transgression of the known law of God. Therefore, every voluntary breach of the law of love is sin, and nothing else. And this definition was based on his understanding of 1 John 3, 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Wesley believed that by grace, people can avoid personal sins. Friends, sin separates us from God. He's a holy God. Yet he's also faithful and merciful. And Jesus came into the world in person to show us the love of the Father. Now, you know, he could have been born in a palace. After all, he was and is a king. But the Father chose a manger. There was no one to assist Mary in her delivery other than Joseph, the smell of animals, the hay. Now, that's difficult to understand. It was difficult to understand for the people in those days and for some people still today. And during his earthly ministry, Many of the things that Jesus did were not acceptable in the eyes of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law because they were self-righteous people. As a matter of fact, this is what Jesus said to them once, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the e- inside are full of dead men's bones. Those are some harsh words. Matthew 23, 27. You see, they saw that they were the only ones who had it all together and were worthy of God's love. 
according to them, they lived a sinless life. Therefore, the sinners did not have a place in the kingdom of God. So they thought. But Jesus came to reframe that narrative. Even though there's still some Sadducees and religious people around us today, and unfortunately they are in the church. They have all the do's and don'ts and how you're supposed to dress and how you're supposed to look because after all, we are religious people. And as we read this morning, one day a Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to come to his house for dinner. And most probably some of the socially elite people of his community were invited too. Remember, in those days there was no television, no media, no computer, you know, social media, etc. And when people had special guests to come and visit their home and they had dinners, they would leave their doors and their windows open so the people from that neighborhood from that village would come and listen because they would be discussing the important social and religious issues of their days. And so they were welcome to come and listen, but not to approach the table. And the Bible tells us that as, we're, as they were conversing, Jesus reclined on the table to eat. And in came a sinner, a woman who lived a sinful life. Now, we don't know this lady's name. We just know her by her label. I think since the beginning of the world, we humans have been really good about labeling people. And they have labeled her a sinful woman. And so we know her by her label and her deeds. She was a bold and courageous person. She broke all the cultural norms of that time. When she dared to come to the table, reserved only for guests. Some people have tried keeping us from the table of the Lord too because of their own rules and norms. You see, as I said, in those days they could only come and watch, but not approach the table, and she did. Secondly, she approached a man in public, one who was not her husband, and that was forbidden. Thirdly, she went on and washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Remember, in those days people were sandals the roads were dusty his feet must have been smelly and dirty he was human and it was customary that especially when you had an event in your heart in your house you would have a designated servant ready to wash your guest feet as they came in well that didn't happen to Jesus and she was sobbing and wailing, perhaps remembering all her sins that she had been forgiven for. While people kept telling her to hush, they were annoyed. She was too loud. She was a woman. 
She was interrupting the flow of the conversation and the dinner. But she did not stop. She proceeded to dry Jesus' feet with her hair, kissed them, and then she had an alabaster box where she kept her expensive oil and she opened it and poured it on his feet. She anointed Jesus. She offered him all her devotion and adoration. But at the same time, she was violating all the rules. She could have been stoned for what she was doing. And what's even more shocking in the eyes of the Pharisees is that Jesus did not stop her. They accepted the woman's behavior. After all, she was a sinner. What can you expect from her? Can't expect anything good to come from her. But Jesus was a prophet. He should not have allowed that. How did he allow a woman of ill repute to approach him, touch him, and worship him? Show him all her love for him. Jesus knew what Simon the Pharisee was thinking about, and he rebuked him. He reminded him that he had not welcomed him properly into his house. He did not provide water to wash his feet. He did not welcome him with a kiss as they did in those days. Didn't pour oil upon him to refresh him. You see, Jesus exposed Simon's heart in front of everyone. Because Simon viewed himself as a self-righteous person. He didn't see himself as a sinner in need of grace and forgiveness and salvation. No, he saw himself as the keeper of the law. He thought he could earn God's favor by keeping a set of rules. At times, we too do that. On the other hand, this woman was aware of all her sins. She was aware of her depraved condition. She knew she desperately needed salvation and forgiveness. She needed a savior. And she also knew that Jesus was and is a friend of sinners. Some people in the church today still don't know that. And that's why she threw herself at the feet of Jesus, despite all the cultural norms, critical voices, and the murmuring of others. She risked it all in order to express her immense gratitude to God for the forgiveness that she had received. Jesus said to Simon, 
her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Friends, this precious woman had found forgiveness and rest for her restless heart. Only in Jesus. Yes, perhaps she had had a few, more than a few men in her life. Perhaps she was not from the elite group. Perhaps she didn't have a normal lifestyle. And she knew that. And she ran to Jesus. The Pharisees and the self-righteous people of Jesus' time, as well as the ones today, need to reframe. Change the narrative. Because Jesus did not come just for the elite or for those who outwardly appearance is impeccable. There are certain people that when you and I look at them, we say, wow, he or she really has it all together. And then you start talking to them and you think, oh, was I wrong? As a matter of fact, in Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Sometimes in our arrogance, we think that God cannot use us due to our failures, due to our past. This morning, I want to invite you to deal with your past, to deal with your failures, to deal with your pain, because pain and trauma, unacknowledged, becomes a tragedy. And though we live in a society that only likes happy people and people that have it together, and we buy into that and we put up a front, rather than really being in touch with self and dealing with that pain, whatever it was, and maybe you had no control over it, but you accepted the label, and you've been acting according to that label, and you have refused to acknowledge the pain, and instead you have just pressed it down. But one day it will all come up, because whatever is in the, puck, in the bucket, whatever is there is going to come up sooner or later. You see, feelings buried alive don't die. They just corrupt the soul. Beloved, Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Miriam was a gossiper. Sarah was impatient and got 
her husband into a lot of trouble. But he wanted it too. Gideon was impatient and insecure. Thomas was a doubter. Peter had a loud mouth and a large ego. Paul was arrogant and a murderer too. Yet God used them all. Once they came to know the Lord, I call it a heart collision. Once they had a heart collision with God and their lives were changed, the narrative was reframed. God used them all in a mighty way. Beloved, it's not about you. It's not about us. It's about the one who called us. It's about the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17, we read, If any man, woman, is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. You see, we need to confront our own issues. We go about passing judgment and, and seeing everybody else's issues. And many times we're so good at recognizing someone else's issues because we have them too. We can identify with them. We need to confront our own and our false purity code, rules, unwritten laws, and biases. Because these things can blind us and not let us see the reality and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know there's an ideology that asserts that all roads lead to heaven. Reframe. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. The only savior of sinners is Jesus Christ. In this story, there are three main characters. Jesus, the friend of sinners, the savior. Simon, the Pharisee, filled his heart with self-righteousness. He believed that he could earn his way to heaven. And then there is the sinful woman who acknowledged her needs, her brokenness, and how desperate she needed salvation. Which one are you most like? Simon, full of self-righteousness? Or 
that woman the sinner. Are you living life through your own religious biases? Like Simon? Coming to church on Sundays because that's part of what you do, your tradition, your religion? Are you most like the sinful woman? You have acknowledged your need for God's amazing grace and forgiveness. Is your heart open and vulnerable to the presence of God? Do you worship in total abandonment and adoration as this woman did? Let us pray. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have acted like Simon, the Pharisee. Walking in self-righteousness. Being independent. Thinking that we know it all and can change it all and do it all. Help us to reframe, Lord. Help us to understand the narrative that you came to seek and to save the sinners. Help us to replace the lies with God's truth. Live in the reality of a, of a renewed mind. Speak in agreement with what God has already said about us. Help us to receive your amazing grace that is there for sinners like us. Change us and transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.